This week we jump back into the book with EFS 14, Dragons and Dinosaurs. And whether or not we, well we still coexist with dinosaurs. Go and have a look at a saltwater crocodile or any other crocodilian family. They are literally dinosaurs. However, the evidence for it, as usual, is more than you'd think. And I really learned something in this episode. I was supposed to release this episode last night, and I only share this because it's kind of funny, but it was a bit trippy at the time. Pardon the pun, as you'll see. I was supposed to release the podcast last night, and my dog uh, ate, ate or licked a cane toad and literally was tripping balls in my kitchen, right? Like, it was pretty scary for a minute. He came back around, thanks to some essences from my lovely wife. However, man... That was a crazy experience. However, he's okay. Old Zeusy's all right. However, I don't think he's going to be looking at Cane Toad anytime soon. Uh, I think he went to the DMT realm and met God from what I saw. <laughs> so, anyway, I thought I'd share that because it was just an experience. Watching an animal fully trip right out. And look, he was on the veil for a second or two. Anyway, enough out of me. Get into the book. Got some episodes coming. Podcasting's always interesting, trying to line schedules up with people. However, there's some interesting stuff coming. Really appreciate your support. Uh, check us out, Instagram, Facebook, Unlocking the Code. Uh, give us a like, give us a follow. Remember to be kind, be cool, stay safe, be disciplined, and we'll talk soon. Oh, I don't know what music we're going to go with this one. We'll see. Enjoy. Once again next weekend Found me out drunk again And I never will forgive myself For putting you through all that hell I went from high school dropout To factory labourer Slave to the clock until four Went from sleeping on the floor To being out on tour Now no stopping me I'll finish with a bang Like a Cobain's biography Uh Sunny nearly never existed. Oh. Going down the hard road. 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 Down the hard road.
the booth In the spirit of truth Cause all these kids that I meet Man they mirror my youth And I could have gone the wrong way the easy uh, option But I chose to go the long way uh, So keep a look out, look out Be ballers, keep your hook out Pull a page, rip my book out And pull out your finger, put your foot out And keep a look out for what we put out The brand new flavor for your cookout uh. Mate, again, here we are. Back again. In the refinery for episode EFS 14. We'll get that out of the road early. EFS 14. Yes. And we said EFS this time. We did say EFS. We didn't say EFS last time. But before we we get to the book, we've got a couple of little things we want to discuss. uh, And we've got a couple of articles, depending on how long what we want to discuss takes. Yeah, I think we just sort of brush across um, the first topic. I don't think we go too in depth and we just get into the articles. So we look, uh, the Serpent Bros do a good job and they have some amazing guests. Uh, and Marty Gaza is one of those guests. All time goat. He is, he, I think it's been a long time since we've praised Marty Gaza. So we will tonight because the dude is at a level of research that we actually can't understand. Uh, and he's 10 episodes deep himself. Like we're number 14. He's 10 deep into this stuff. And, and he writes his own. And he writes his own stuff through his own personal research. And he's bringing together so many topics that we've talked about here for years, man. And the ideas and, and just the, yeah. Because, I mean, obviously it's the UFO, UAP, Skinwalker, Dimensional, what's the difference? Well, see, that's that's know? where that's where we all got. That's where we all dipped our toe, mm. and he's he's just taken it so far and and uh, combining so many things into the the UFO phenomenon. Yeah, you know we've got angels, demons, channelers, yeah, and astro travelers. Yeah, they're all coming into the because that realm they're tapping into mm. is the realm where some of these higher beings reside. Well, you know, not to you know. Magnets is going to be replaced with uh, ether because that's where these guys are trying to go. That's what they're trying to harness. That's what they're trying to do because that's where these machines operate. They manifest a hole in the ether. That's why they're transmedium. Um, and it's so esoteric. I mean, I love the like the guy that channeled the thing. He flew to England and landed in Scotland, and he had the the ancient Druidic book. You know, and understand the Druids. The reason we don't know much about the Druids is they didn't believe in writing it down. Yeah. Well, the only reason that book exists was it was gifted, mm. like through a channeling, 
two of some king in like 1066. Yeah. And then D somehow got his hands on yeah. it. And then it ended up in the hands of the Germans. Yeah. And they translated into German. Yeah. Yeah. And then old mate flew it back to Scotland. Mm. It's see, and this is what makes him such a incredible like entertainer. Yeah. Is the way in which he he tells packs, the story. Well, he yeah, and he packs it full of the episode full those of details, so many things. Man, those tiny so there's those, details. There's moving moving us along chronologically with these going from story to story, like anecdotal, yeah. like the fact that he went back far enough to include the fact that it was actually like it was the Russians mm. who were sort of uh, leading the way. Well, I mean, the, because it, of because of this random. Yeah. Um, set of stories about the the um, ice sickness or whatever yes. they were talking about, yep. which which a lot of the symptoms sound like a lot of other things mm. that have happened before. Mm. And and it's like the Russians are interesting as well because they've always had a paranormal bend. You know what I mean? That's what they've been known for. They do that esoteric type technology. You know, I remember the there was that uh, they found those microphones on the buildings, and the microphone. And it recorded and sent signals and it acted on the movement of the building. Yep. So it never gave off a signal ever. It's only when they tore the walls apart, they found these, it was like a CIA thing. Yeah. And they found these microphones in the wall Mm -hmm. that operated by the motion of the building. And the, oh. I mean, that's just some esoteric technology there. Well, speaking of esoteric, um, something that Marty didn't mention but he, and, and I mean, he could have done a whole 15 minutes sort of like the same way in which he did the lead in with the, um, the research starting around like that schizophrenia yeah. style yeah. hysteria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could have done the same thing when he mentioned the fact that they used, is it Bocken Mountain in Germany? Yes. They mounted top of it. Well, I'm pretty sure it's Bocken. So that was witch territory, like this is back in yes. the fifteen hundreds. Yeah, that's where the it's witches live. Sacred site. Yeah, Bokken Mountain is actually a sacred site. Of course, it is. With a, it's got uh, castle ruins and stuff mm. on top of it because there's been all sorts of different rituals that have occurred mm. there. Mm-hmm. And where did they mount their device? Mm. On that mountain. On that mountain. Well, I mean, this gets back to the the sacred energy centers. I mean, we've talked about that in the past as well. It's like what's missing from all of these sacred sites, it's the power crystal, man. That's the only way I can describe it, right? It's whatever activates these sites because they a lot of them exist on energy it's, lines. It's tech. Yeah. It's some kind of tech, probably utilizing crystals. Yeah. Because it's not just a crystal out of the ground. It's no. not just a bare crystal. No. It has to be something worked. It has yeah. to be utilized yeah, in yeah, such yeah. a way yeah. for it to do these things. Yeah. It's not just a carved rock. No, no, no. You just don't find it in the ground. It's it's been programmed or whatever it is. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's yeah. been not manufactured, but but um made for purpose, fit for exactly, purpose. Exactly, fit for purpose. Yeah. Using crystal. Mm. Yeah. And, if it was just a rock out of the ground, someone would have stumbled across the answer. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Just happening true coincidence yeah happening to have a certain crystal on their key ring and then yeah. be in this one area and something happens and ta-da well i mean we're surrounded by crystals in the refinery mate we haven't we haven't uh we must not be on a ley line no 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 we haven't tripped into another dimension accidentally well look i mean well we could question that as well we've been in a few interesting dimensions in the refinery however 
that's not for tonight. Yeah, it's – and you said something to me before we turned the mics on that uh, I resonated with, whereas we only see this stuff as paranormal because it's not normal, right? And because of the – it really is the Judeo-Christian uh, ethos on this type of stuff. Like you can't manifest the thing that isn't there, right? You can't harness what's not there. You can't know that you are God, right? You can't do that because if you do those things, we have no longer have control, right? Okay. So yes. they they make these things fear-based, whereas if we dig into, and again, you know, you look around there and find there's representations of all different religions, some of these ancient religions that are represented here, that's what it was about. It was about understanding this, understanding the science and spirituality. I mean, the thing about this whole topic to me, it 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 joins a lot of dots together that we've been talking about here for a long time, man. Well, and and one thing that it pointed out was, as in one thing the episode pointed out, mm. was the search for more than just the power to rule mm. in terms of it's a search for ancient tech, like, I mean, the, the it's the search for the power crystals, man. That's what they're looking for. Yeah, but but it's not just that. Like, mm. it's multifaceted, mm. is what I'm getting at. Mm. You know, like the stuff that was mentioned in terms of like uh, in the the vamanas, like um, and the weapons and like the different the Tibetan stuff. Yeah, you know the Tibetan stuff that was mentioned in that episode. Mm. That was crazy. Mm. Like the five different epochs of human civilization. Yeah. Yep. 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 Well, you imagine for those five different epochs, if they all reached uh, a, certain a, level. a certain level, like mm-hmm. like even we have, mm-hmm. you just leave one or two things behind mm. in terms of like this here, mm. what we created, this was a game changer. Yeah, this you is where we behind. got to. Yeah. Well, then there's five different fucking... Five different civilizations that have done with that. With their own tech mm-hmm. that have gone, got to a... a End result in a different in way. A different way, different direction, different time, different climate, different everything, really. Yeah. I mean, you well, know. A different point of view biologically. Yeah. Because if we're talking lizard people, because they're not all hominids. No. Like they're not, yeah. So so if we're talking lizard people in the very first iteration. Mm. I think as well, we're talking... Look, the reality is some of these Paracas skulls and these elongated skulls, all this sort of stuff, we've got to question whether they are actually hominids. The thing that's always missing from these elongated skulls is the bodies. Mm -hmm. Have we not found a single skeleton? What do they look like? No, no. So, yeah, I think... There may be some in... Oh, God, it escapes me. But I think there may be some in Egypt. Mm. In terms of like Nefertiti and mm. stuff like that, like mm. if it's there might be a mummy or two, yeah, with like an elongated skull. So but in I that thought, regard, I thought got, they were bound. Were the ones in Egypt bound? I'm not sure. Don't quote us. Not all, not all the time. But well, you know, look, that's, maybe that's do you know the, what's interesting about this coming out in you. What's what, what's interesting is um, uh, for the next EFS episode, mm-hmm. hopefully we might have. Uh, Grub is the watcher. Young Grub. So uh, in, his, in his cocoon. Yeah. In in northern New South Wales in the mountains, surrounded by bear traps. He um he exists, man. 
um, exists. So yeah, oh, so you know that in that instance, Grub could have probably tidied that up for us. But he definitely, uh, bloody could have. Uh, anyway, um, look, the thing is because the 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 work that Marty has done uh, goes side by side, hand in hand with the work that we've done. We we do want to get together and do a, a dedicated episode um, with Grub. Uh, we can do a tripod on it. Yeah, with uh, Grub, delve into it. We'll do like a full, mm. full like a reaction review. Yeah, reaction review, debrief, debrief uh, kind of. Because it's it's it. it's three different sides of knowledge and three different interpretations, and I think we could all learn from each other. Um, oh, doing definitely. that, I think that'd be cool. Let's jump into an article, mate. Oh. Definitely. Let's do it's it. It's time of the night. Let's do it. Let's, Let's do move it. Move on. Let's just end that with uh thank you, Marty, mm. for producing the amazing Much content respect, that you've Much respect. Uh look at that. I can even get I'm gonna go first, mate. I'm do gonna it. do and this one we had this one set up the other night and we didn't end up doing it. Um I'm just gonna get some liquids. Because this one I don't agree with the, what this says and I'll explain why. Lovely. A strange dark cloud appeared in 536 AD that changed history dramatically. And this is from Mark Shifter. Schiffer, sorry. Got to find my glasses. Poor old eyes. (laughs) In the summer of 536, a strange cloud appeared in the skies over much of southern Europe, North Africa and Western Asia sometimes referred to as a veil of dust. Something plunged the Mediterranean region and many other areas of the world into gloomy years of cold and darkness. This foreboding change was recorded by the Byzantine historian Procopius. Procopius? 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 Maybe. Maybe. For the sun gave forth its light without brightness, like the moon during this whole year. Yeah, Procopius. Yeah, I know. We just said it three different ways. Procopius uh, also wrote of disease and war resulting from the blocking of the sun's light. A Syrian scribe described the change as the sun began to be darkened by day and the moon by night, while ocean was tumultuous with spray. Which it would be. Just think about that for a second. It would be if you've blocked out the moon and you're blocking out the sun. That's going to mess with the oceans, man. Oh, yeah. The tidal shift and all that sort of stuff. Gaelic Irish records describe a failure of bread in the year 536. I mean, imagine that. We've got no concept of that, do we, right? This year, no bread, man. Mm -hmm. No bread. Yeah. You don't get bread this year. Yeah. The closest thing we got to that is um, $12 lettuce. Yeah. You know? Yeah. and, And that lasted for like six weeks. Yeah. And we were like, Come on. Yeah. They I need lettuce. Well they just they just tried something but like, else, mate. But like no wheat. Yeah. No, no wheat, wheat, no bread. Year. Nothing. All year. Yeah. For many years, historians and scientists have wondered what may have caused Procopius and others to record notable differences in weather. Modern research has provided some interesting theories. Much of the rest of the world seems to have been impacted by the cloud as well, at least in the northern hemisphere. Studies of tree rings between five thirty six and five fifty one show less tree growth in China, Europe, and North America, less solar radiation reaching the Earth resulting in lower temperatures and abnormal weather patterns. The results for humans include lower food production, famine, as well as increased social and political disruption. This is when the Roman Empire finally fell during this time. There were specific events recorded that were likely related to the ominous cloud. 
A deadly pandemic swept through the Byzantine Empire, 541-542. That became known as the Justinian Plague. Estimates are up are that up to a third of the population perished during the outbreak. Procopius has described some of the horrible symptoms as fever and swelling all over the body. In 536 China, there was famine and drought with many deaths, as well as reports of yellow dust that rained down like snow. At the same time, Korea faced massive storms and flooding, and usual heavy snowfalls were noted in Mesopotamia. Scandinavia seems to be partially, particularly hard hit. Archaeological evidence indicates that almost 75% of villages in parts of Sweden were abandoned in these years. Well, it's already cold up there, and you make it colder forever. There's only so much the human can take, you know? Yeah. One theory is that the displacement of people was a catalyst for later raids by Vikings seeking more fertile land in other parts of Europe and beyond. A Norse poem of the time rings, the sun turns black, earth sinks in the sea, down from heaven, stars a world. Ooh, think about that. Down from heaven, stars a world. Well, I was thinking about this just before, and it was it was actually a, a thought I had from a, a James Webb telescope photo that I saw earlier today. And that was just like, uh, it was a photo of a spiral galaxy. Mm-hmm. They did a comparison mm-hmm. of um, Hubble to James Webb mm-hmm. on this spiral galaxy. And what stood out was uh, on a spiral galaxy, You've got the arms of stars coming out, mm-hmm. but between those arms of stars, there's dust clouds. Mm. So, like, apart from the earthbound catastrophes that could possibly cause, like, a nuclear winter scenario mm-hmm. with suspended particles in the atmosphere, what if they come? Yeah, we ex- spin ex- through ex- them. Exogenous. Yeah, we spin through yeah, them. Like- we split, spin through them, but there's actually enough material there to actually form a blanket like mm. we catch on we go through it and it's thick enough dense enough that there's enough particles now the stars whirling from the sky if we look at um the size of shooting stars that mm. we see they're tiny mm. they're only golf ball size a lot of the shooting stars we actually see and they're burning up mm. so the density of the material it's so there would be, be stone in there as well exactly. you would think there'd yeah. be if if it's space dust mm-hmm bits of blown up planets and shit like that just mm. floating around there'd be whirling stars coming from the sky because you'd have a higher intensity yep of spinning um, through the atmosphere yeah of a higher intensity of shooting stars but then you also have the particles that are that come on mass mm. that are small enough mm. instead of burning up they just form a layer in our atmosphere yeah and then slowly descend because they're they're, they might be traveling at a, because they're so small, mm-hmm. they can travel at a slower speed because mm-hmm. it's the speed, the friction that the larger particles hit. Mm. That's what makes them burn up. That's true. Look, I think, uh, you know, the Tartarian mud floods stuff, I tend to think that that's what happened. I think we spun through a, I don't know, a mud cloud, a dirt cloud, whatever. Yep. Um, this, however, down from heaven, stars are world. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you why I'd look. Let's get to the end. The severe weather may have impacted other historical trends. Among them is the migration of the Mongolian tribes westward, the fall of the Persian Sassanid Empire, and the rise of rapid expansion of Islam. Some historians mark these specific changes in weather patterns as contributing to the historic transition from antiquity to the beginning 
of the era of the dark and middle ages. It certainly emphasizes the impact rapid climate change may have had on human populations. What could have caused such sudden and dramatic weather? Experts are divided and we may never know the whole answer. One theory is that the climate around the world changed based on one gigantic volcanic eruption, possibly from Central America. Absolutely, that could happen. This could have resulted in a layer of ash of dust hovering the skies and much of the planet. Yep. Uh, another suggestion is that there were two large volcanic bla- volcano blasts within a couple of years of each other, specifically 536 and 540, causing darkness and cold around most of the world. Clouds of smoke and debris from massive volcanic fires could have spread rapidly. Evidence of volcanic eruptions was backed up by the material found in both North and South Poles. In both Antarctica and Greenland, sulfate deposits have been found dating back to the mid-6th century. A third theory contemplates the impact of a comet or a meteorite crashing into Earth, or the possibility of a near-miss from a comet that could have left thick dust clouds and particles in the atmosphere. There you go. Experts generally think this explanation is less plausible than that of volcanic eruptions. Yeah, because they don't want to admit... That oh, he's only got a one paragraph. Whatever the cause, people living at the time noticed and recorded a rapid change in nature. Human populations around the earth were disrupted and many would have felt the world was coming to an end. So I believe, and there's a paper, and look, this is, you know, remember this is episode 185 or something. This is probably episode 50 or 60, somewhere in there. Um, there's an episode, it's a short one, called Double Impact. Okay. Yep. Um, and that was um me unpacking a paper by some scientists and they were talking to indigenous tribes in northern Australia where there's cave art somewhere that records a meteorite impact mm-hmm. in the Gulp of Carpentaria. And there's actually chevrons that go both sides of the Gulf of Carpentaria. And apparently if you look at the Gulf of Carpentaria topographically it sort of goes like that yeah right there's two scallops yeah Yeah, there's two scallops in the middle of the in the gulf there and so yeah that was a double impact into the gulf of carpentaria the resulted um you know the stuff that went up into the atmosphere Mm -hmm. caused the start of that nuclear winter yeah but see i'd I've always thought this as well, right? How big of a meteorite impact does it need to be to trigger volcanic eruptions? Because well, if you think the about other, the vibration through the mantle, right? Same thing I was going to say. Right? Why couldn't it be everything? Yeah. Right? You get two massive rocks smashing into the Gulf of Carpentry that spits everything up. But what, how, if those things impacted the surface of the, of the, like they went through the ocean and impacted the surface of the planet, that is going to send a resulting vibration through everything, right? Yep. And the, yep. the the ring of fire is not far from the Gulf of yep. Carpentaria, yep. right? Which is going to send a vibration up that whole line, which does winds through Asia and into South America and all that any, sort of stuff, any, right? Any weak points, yeah, that were waiting for some energy to yeah. let go, yeah, it's going to allow that, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think that I don't know why they don't want to admit that rocks come from the sky. It's one of those weird ones, you know what I mean? Yeah. They just don't want to admit that rocks come from the sky every now and again, yeah. You know, even though I think we had a, a near miss a little while ago, it was 150 metres. They didn't see until it went past us yeah. in between the moon and us, right? Yeah. So they, ha- they yeah, happen all the time, all the time, right? City killers all the time. Yeah. Uh, however, no, it doesn't happen. Don't don't worry about that. Just eat your crickets. Um, 
So, yeah, on to mouse, please. On to back to good old-fashioned UTC work here. A little bit of Sumerian stuff. Sumerian stuff, yeah. All right, let me just get uh, warmed up here. It's from... uh, I love it. I love it. Look at this. Quarter to one. Yep. In the morning. Yep. Kerry Sullivan posted this back in 2017. He was up late, or she was up late. They were up late. Uh, And, yeah, fix it up. All right. I'm good to go. Sumerians looked to the heavens as they invented the system of time, and we still use it today. One might find it curious that we divide the hours into 60 minutes and the days into 24 hours. Why not a multiple of 10 or 12? Put quite simply, the answer is because the inventors of time did not operate on a decimal base 10 or duodecimal base 12 system but a sexagesimal base 60 system for the ancient sumerian innovators who first divided the movements of the heavens into countable intervals 60 was the perfect number number 60 can di- can be divided by 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 no seven. 5 6 sorry i've gotten on a roll <laughs> 5, 6, 10, 12, 15. It's all good, man. It's young kids. 20 One, two, three. And 30 equal parts. Yeah, man. Yeah. I just clocked off. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know this. Moreover, ancient astronomers believed there were 360 days in a year, mm-hmm. a number which 60 fits neatly into six times. The Sumerian Empire did not last, however, for more than 5,000 years. The world has remained committed to their delineation of time. Well, not to mention 360 days in a year. Mm-hmm. So they've divided a circle into 360 degrees mm-hmm. as well. Yep. I think that has a large part to do with it that they're not um, talking about. They may talk about it. Let's give them a little bit of, let's give them a second chance. The passage of time. Many ancient civilizations had a rough approximation of the passage of time. Obviously, a day began when the sun rose and the night began when the sun set. Somewhat less obvious was the passage of weeks, months, and years. However, these two had been approximated by ancient peoples. A month was the length of time of one complete lunar cycle, whereas a week was the length of time for one phase of the lunar cycle. A year could be estimated based on the changing seasons and relative position of the sun. Once the zenith of the sun was determined, scholars could count the number of sunrises and sunsets that passed until it reached its zenith again. In this manner, the ancient Egyptians, Mayans and Babylonians, among others, determined that the year had 360 days. Yet it was the Sumerian astronomers and mathematicians who first systematically divided the passage of time. Their work was widely accepted and spread throughout Eurasia. That's it. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Oh, like the other day, lots of ads. Lots of ads. Nearly felt like that was it. Mm. The decimal system was not the first system for counting. The decimal system is today the most widely used numerical base. 
it is a readily available system of counting, given that humans have 10 fingers on which to count. As such, there are several claimants to the invention of the decimal system. Notably, the Greeks, circa 300 BC, the Chinese, 100 BC, and the Indians, circa 100 AD. Less well-known are the origins of the duodecimal system, although it appears to have arisen independently in ancient Nigerian, Chinese, and Babylonian languages, markedly in the belief of the 12 signs of the zodiac. However, all these were preceded by the ancient Sumerians, who crafted their sexagesimal system in the third millennium BC. Sexagesimal is a new word. I like it, Don. Mm, I'm feeling quite sexagesimal. Yeah. You could use it, couldn't you? You could use it in many different places. <laughs> the Sumerian invention of the sexagesimal system. The Sumerians initially favoured the number 60 because it was so easily divisible. Not only were there few remainders when working on the number 60 and its multiples, the remainders that did appear did not have repeating decimals. A concept, a concept Sumerians could not process at the time. The land of Sumer was conquered in 2400 BC by the Akkadians and then by the Amorites, also known as the Babylonians, in 1800 BC. Each subsequent ruling power also appreciated the user-friendly sexagesimal system and incorporated it into their own mathematics. So the notion of dividing time into units of 60 persisted and spread to the east of to the east in Persia, India, and China, as well as to the west in Egypt, Carthage, and Rome. The system neatly complemented the Chinese astronomers' work of discovering the 12 astronomical hours of the stars, a mostly theoretical discovery as most people lived by the sun. It also worked with imperial military strategies, particularly the division of the night watch into multiple yeah, even right. increments. The Egyptians maintained three watches each night. The, the Romans had four. Yeah, like three hours apiece, that'd be your watch, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. With Greek and Islamic innovations in geometry, it was discovered that 360 was not only the length of time of the Earth's ideal orbit, but also the perfect measurement of a circle. No, that's not true. The Sumerian <laughs> text invented the circle a long time before. There's actually another uh, podcast about that a little while ago, Geometry predating the Jeep, uh, the Greeks by about five, uh, 2,000 years, I think. Look it up, like, share, and subscribe. Remember to hit the bell for any future content. <laughs> it was not only the length of time, the Earth's ideal orbit, but also the perfect measurement of a circle. Mm. Hmm. Does that allude to the fact that maybe we're on a big ball? No, man. Listen, space? we're not. We're on the back of a turtle back. This turtle island. Yeah. Oh, the sexagesimal system thus began to solidify its place in history by becoming essential for mathematics and navigation. The earth being divided into, into d degrees. Wow, that little bit there. Anyway, into degrees of longitude and latitude. Finally, with the invention of the timepiece in the 14th century, the circular clock face was divided into neat sexagesimal quadrants 
which gave each minute 60 seconds. That's it. That's that is the it. end. Cool. Thank you, Kerry Sullivan. Interesting little piece you have there, my friend. Look, it's it, it feels like um the surface uh the surface understanding of time and stuff like that. Time's an interesting one. The Sumerians predated everyone and everything by thousands of years. Uh and I yeah, I do think that. And there is evidence to suggest for that. I mean, if we're talking about you know, and you just sort of skipped over the fact that it used to be 360 days and now it's 365. There's a big question mark over why. I mean, I think the technical answer is it's, it was one of the Roman emperors added five days of celebration into the year and that's how we ended up where we ended up. Well, um, for whatever reason, the period of time between Zenith to Zenith is now longer. And the three hundred and sixty doesn't work anymore. That's right, yeah. Because it's and that's the that's the other reason. That's oh no, they added five days. No, no, something we slowed down or possibly something happened. Yeah. Something possibly happened yeah. to make that not work anymore. Maybe a double impact in the Gulf of Carpentaria, if that was heavy enough, might have, have been affected the rotation. I mean, you come back to the basketball theory, right? Could have been the younger Dryas impact. Mm. Uh, could have been any any such mm-hmm. impact mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because. The thing is how we're talking about this system now. What if the Sumerians, so the Sumerians are the oldest civilization that we have information about apart from um, enough information mm. about apart from. Well, we found their libraries, one of their libraries with all their tablets. With their it. tablets. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have the knowledge no. somewhat like Gebekli Tepe. Yeah. If we were to find tablets of information or whatever they use to record things on other Mm. than the pillars Mm. like more information we could get a better idea of what their civilization was talking about yeah so then we could work out well did they actually invent the system and maybe by the time maybe the impact happened um before they came along so 360 worked in their time mm. and maybe the sumerians didn't invent it they just copied it just like everyone else did to the what we think this they did to the sumerians mm-hmm. and six thousand years later the sumerians were just using a system they hadn't created yeah but because there is there is um part of the argument for the days being different was the fact that they used to not count five days of the year mm. Because it was like a religious, yeah, uh, thing, yeah, like a holiday, religious yeah. holiday. Yeah, Five right. days a year, you go on a break, yeah, and then we start the new year here, yeah, sort of thing. There is part there. There is a, a argument that 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 occurred. Mm. I think back in those days, even it's even time is a question mark. You know what I mean? Like there's no because there's interesting stuff coming well, exactly out of Asia. It's, yeah. it's purely just an observation mm. of. <clears throat> the rotation of the earth, the rotation of the, the orbit of the moon, the orbit of the earth around the sun. Time is purely that. Mm. It's just it's just us measuring shit. Yeah, it's a three-dimensional construct. It, that's all it actually is. Yeah, it's us measuring stuff. Mm. That's all it is. Mm. It's all it's all developed off that. The length of the day, mm. the length of time it takes, because they're all things that matter. You know what time the sun's going to set, how much more, more time you've got until mm. the end of the day. You know when the next tide's coming. Mm. You know when the next um, 
you know, you want to plant on an X amount yeah, the of, shift, on a moon yeah, or the a shift of, the shift of planting and the, the seasons and stuff. Agricultural sort yeah. of stuff. So it mattered to to know these things. Mm, absolutely. Well, I mean, what are the all the all the megalithic sites that are aligned? Because it mattered to know well. where the sun was and how many of them are circular to when that was coming yeah, back around. That's again. right. Yeah, when the sun, the when the sun, the sun, when the sun hit that rock, that's that's time. Yeah. You know? Well, mate, dragons, dragons, EFS time, dragons. I suppose we don't get like we haven't had too many big names tonight. That last episode, that was a real. I was there. The, the Indian, the Indian stuff was bad. Yeah, the Norse, the stuff, Norse stuff. Yeah, some, yeah, whoa, yeah, it was, it was wow, bad, man. Viking names. So let's hope the dragon of St George the, treats us treats yeah. us kindly. Okay, I'll let you start it off, mate. Yeah, mate. Take let's... a little take a little sip there, bud. Lubricate, hydrate before you dehydrate. Mm. All right, the dragons of St George. There is a tantalising footnote to all this talk and rumour of prehistoric flying creatures. Just ponder this fact for a moment. The first dinosaur ever discovered was an orthino. Or, oh, ornithopod. Or, or, you, you've got boys, you know that one. Ornithopod. Yeah. Called the Iguanodon, which was found in England in the early 1800s. As a point of interest, interest, the specimen that was recovered was more than twice the height of a person and belonged to a group of medium-sized plant eaters that walked on two legs and used its long tail for balance. But that's beside the point. The real point is the species was, until that time, completely unheard of. The actual dinosaur genus was not even named until 1824. Yet many people who lived in our distant past seem to possess a substantial amount of knowledge in regards to these creatures. Mr. Wright, Triceratops. Triceratops. Bloody hell. Thanks for that. Thanks, Elle. Hope you don't fuck it up. That's good. Thank you. <laughs> I've jinxed us. Yeah. For example, in an incredible discovery in 1928, just northwest of Tucson, Arizona, a man called Charles Mania came across an ancient lime kiln, apparently a Roman design, which came as quite a shock in Tucson. When it was opened, it found it contained an assortment of ancient Roman artifacts made in the most part from lead. In all, more than 30 items were found recovered from the site. These included spears, swords, daggers, batons, and even a 62-pound cross. All the objects were encrusted with a substance known as kalish, which is a hard, crusty type of material that grows with age similar to a terracotta tile. This growth is due to a chemical reaction that occurs when metals are exposed to desert soil and water. The thick kalish displayed on these artifacts also aptly testifies or testified to the extreme age of the Ottomans. Controversy still rages. I've never heard of this stuff. Controversy still rages over the authenticity of the artifacts. As no one has ever imagined, there had been a Roman settlement in North America in ancient times, and many find the idea extremely difficult to accept. The actual fault, especially when the fucking Smithsonian. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly. That's right. Especially when this is right. It's in the, it's in the, in that warehouse that Indiana Jones met. I'm sure that exists. Uh, where are we? Uh, the actual find was quite interesting, surprising though. But archaeologists received yet a further shock when they examined the motifs displayed on the artifact themselves. Some displayed both Hebrew and Latin symbols, while one broadsword bore an almost unusual engraving that looks remarkably like a brontosaurus. Okay, there you go. Look at that. Does too. Look at that. That's interesting. Uh, and that's 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 a Middle Eastern weapon. That's the like the the different swords. You know what I mean? They had those curved swords back then. 
Uh, it seems hard to imagine that some ancient engraver just came up with an accurate motif of an extinct creature unless he'd actually seen one. It also seems incongruous to imagine that someone who wished to fake a geological discovery would carve a brontosaurus on a saw blade as it would naturally cause too much speculation. In a similar find, there is a portrayal of a pterosaur-like creature that appears on an ancient Saxon shield from the Who burial site in Sutton. The shield depicts a creature with wings folded back along, back along its scaly sides and on its handle is a long beak full of teeth, a crest, and there is an unmistakable tail protruding from the wingtips. From all the reports, the flying reptile known as the Widfloga, far-ranging fly, was quite well known to the Saxons. The shield is still displayed at the British Museum in London. Yeah, right. There is also a Mesopotamian cylinder seal dated at 3300 BC that seems quite accurately depict an unusually shaped dinosaur known, known as an Apatosaurus. An Apatosaurus was a type of sauropod, a group of dinosaurs with a quite unusual body shape. Picture on the right is a modern artist's impression of an Apatosaurus based on a recovered skeleton, while the image on the left is the Mesopotamian cylinder seal. Yeah, wow. It's a bit trippy. There are many striking similarities between the two depictions with the Mesopotamian cylinder showing some quite stunning realism. The creature may have even sported a large crest such as depicted on the seal. Such information cannot be established from the skeletal remains that are available to us. No fossils or skeletons of the creature were ever found until quite recently. So the question is what, I wonder, did the ancient artist use as a model that enabled him to accurately depict such a convincing looking sauropod? Moving along, there is every indication that such a plesiosaur-like creature may have once inhabited the area of Queensland, Australia, and been known to the local Aborigines. Yeah, we've heard about that. I told you the story there a little while ago about um, us excavating like ancient um, vertebrae yeah. of plesiosaurs in the mine out at Cloncurry. Yeah. So, like, that's obviously how long is time mm-hmm. but yeah if there's any leftover survivors and i mean crocodiles exactly in a way survived mm-hmm. through that cataclysmic mm-hmm. period mm-hmm. so sauropods uh sorry plesiosaurs are in the same kind of bracket they are look it makes sense to me man uh both aboriginal peoples around the lake galley galilee area and other tribes located farther to the north tell stories of a long-necked animal with a large body and flippers. The elders of the Kuku Yalanji Aboriginal tribe of North Queensland, Australia, apparently have stories of a creature called a Yaru, which they say once dwelt in the rainforest waterholes. There was actually a cave painting that depicts a creature with features that are strikingly similar to a plesiosaur. The unique X-ray art of the Australian Aboriginals is also applied to the painting quite accurately and depicts the animal's intestinal tract, possibly indicating that these creatures may have even once been hunted for food. An urn from Caria in Asia Minor, estimated to be from 530 BC, depicts what appears to be a Mosasaurus, Mosasaurus, along with several other well-known sea creatures. The animal behind the dinosaur is a seal, while the octopus below is, is below it, along with what appears to be a dolphin. The thick jaws, big teeth, large eyes, and positioning of the fins on the creature in the painting match a Mosasaurus skeleton very closely. There were some slight variations in the species, and some Mosasaurus were indeed known to have 
have a narrow crest located behind the eye that may have well had a fin attached to it depicted on the carrion urn. Yeah, there's all sorts of that stuff. Oh, that's the indigenous painting. Look at that. Yeah. It's crazy, eh? That's cool. Yeah. Um, numerous pieces of art depicting long-tailed, long-necked creatures with a head crest were produced by the ancient Sumatrans. Some of these animals strongly resemble a hadrosaur. One depicts a creature which is being hunted by ancient people that bears a striking resemblance to a Corythosaurus. Which your bloke named Corey, yeah. In that one. Next, we find a tomb in Carlisle Cathedral in the UK where Richard Bell, the Bishop of Carlisle, was buried in 1496. The tomb is inlaid with brass, depicting upon it various types of animals in decorative engravings upon it. Although the tomb is worn by innumerable feet that have walked across it since the Middle Ages, one particular engraving is quite unmistakably a dinosaur. It's just casually there amongst the other everyday images of birds, a dog, an eel, etc. Beautiful representation of two brontosaurus-looking creatures. And the list goes on. There are reports of a flying serpent matching the description of a pterosaur living in Egypt that persisted through to the 1600s. The depictions of the Eker stones discussed earlier in Chapter 2, depictions of Egyptian tombs, we find a slate palette from Hierakonopolis showing the triumph of King Narmer over what appeared to be a pterosaurs. The ancient rock art by North American Indians, a cave painting by of a brontosaurus-like creature in the Gorozo Mizzy Hills, 25 miles from Salisbury, England. In the mine city of Tudjan in Veracruz, there are rock carvings that appear to be a pterodon, and the list still goes on and on. We look at oh yeah, look at that. <laughs> Just look like yeah, brontosaurus. In the tomb, yeah, and that's an eco stone. Yep. Yeah. The same question persists. How on earth could these ancient drawings of anatomically correct dinosaurs come to be all over the world unless the artists who drew them were not in some way familiar with the creatures? This is the point, isn't it? This is the larger point of all this stuff. Because the thing is, is that draw, tell me what a dinosaur is and draw it. If you didn't know what you were looking at and you hadn't seen one, well, we didn't know what they looked like. No. Like in terms, until 1800s. Yeah, yeah. When, they, they did start to the classify them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We didn't know what they were. And even then, we still don't really know. Well, and did look, they have feathers? Did they not have exactly. feathers? Right. You know, I've, I heard a fact the other day about the fact that the reason in the mid-90s they started putting feathers on things was because of uh, some Chinese fossils that were found that were really well preserved that had... Um, imprints feathers yeah, and feathers. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah still on them yeah yeah so that that was the thing that changed after that mm. it was just after the first movie mm. in another remarkable find in 1945 one of my favorites okay cool we must have put put this on the list one of max's favorites yeah an archaeological an archaeologist called waldemar jules rudd well, there's a name for you came across copious amounts of clay figurines which lay buried at the foot of El Toro Mountain, located in an area near the outskirts of Acambaro, Mexico. In all, over 33,000 of the small ceramic figurines were eventually found in the area, and all were identified to have come from a pre-classical culture known as the Chupicuaru, Cu uh, believed to have existed in the locality around 800 BC to 200 AD. The authenticity of this find has often been questioned by academics, though, because lo and behold, the collection also includes anatomically correct dinosaurs. 
The discovery was considered quite controversial, so in 1954, the Mackinson government sent a team of respected archaeologists to investigate the site, which they then announced to be authentic. I for sure thought it was about to say they sent them in there and stole it all. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they, I just they, they sent some archaeologists from the helpful country of America, yeah, from the Smithsonian, that's and, they right. went, <laughs> and it all disappeared. That's right, because that's just done with the story. That's it. Uh, the next year in 1955, Professor of Anthropology at UNH, Charles Hapgood, Hapgood, the same man who discovered the remarkable Bouch map, Borch map in the U.S. Congressional Library discussed in Chapter 2, conducted quite an elaborate investigation on the figurines, which included extensive radiometric and dating and thermoluminescent testing done by the University of Pennsylvania. Then much later in 1990, an investigation was also conducted by another archaeologist the name of Neil Steedy, who works for the Mexican government, also testify the authenticity of the artifacts. Yeah, look at those drawings, man. Mm. Because Jules Rudd's work had amply survived these numerous tests and investigations, even to the extent of the Mexican government once imprisoning two individuals for selling these artifacts on the black market, of course they did, it is safe to take these ceramic figures at face value. The most notable point about the small models is that not only are the dinosaurs depicted in their models and anatomically correct, but they also appear in very agile and active poses, fitting well with known scientific evidence. This strongly suggests the possibility of the sculptor having actually observed the creatures firsthand. It is notable that similar to the sketches we have seen on the Ica stone, some sauropods are also shown with distinctive-looking spinal frill. Fossil remains do not reveal it to us if the creatures had such a feature, but it is interesting to, that two vastly different cultures would imagine the same type of feature on the same type of unusual-looking beast. It is much more reasonable to assume that the two cultures had, at some time, both seen the same type of creature. Other remains found at the site include an extinct Ice Age horse, the skeleton of a woolly mammoth, and a number of ancient human skulls further validating the antiquity of the site. Oh, wow, look at that. That's crazy. They are seriously models of dinosaurs. You wouldn't think them anything else now. No, 100%. There's nothing else they can be. Yeah, that's all they are. Uh, as one last point of interest in this matter... As recently as, De uh, as recently as December of 1691, a dragon was believed to be still living in an area in wetlands near Rome. The creature was said to have lived in a cave, supposedly terrorised the local population quite regularly. It was reported to have been eventually killed by the locals, and a sketch of the skeleton has survived in the possession of a man named In... Ingeniero? Ingeniero? Cornelius. It could be Ingeniero yeah. Cornelio Mayer. The most remarkable thing about the animal depicted in the sketch is it appears to be a pterosaur known as a Scaphonathus. Actually, <laughs> actually the Ramphor, I don't know, pterosaur known as, doesn't matter if you feel like being technical. No, we don't, Max. Thanks very much. It's a pterosaur. Yeah, look at that sketch of the, uh, yep. of the skeleton. It does, doesn't it? I mean, the thing about dragons, man, you know, like they, they echo and echo and echo. Um, according to experts on such matters, of which I'm most certainly not one, yeah, us either, Max, we are sophomaniacs of the highest order. 
The creature clearly displays a head crest complete with a dual piece of skin attached to it, which is characteristic of the species. Five digits are visual on each foot and anatomically correct for the Scaphonathus pterosaur in as much as each digit is of the proper length, the first one appearing slightly shorter and offset to the rest. The femur is correctly displayed as a single bone and the twin lower leg bones, tibia and fibula are also quite visible. A small wing claw can be seen on the far wing where it curves forward and the wings themselves are depicted membranous and are correctly positioned forward of the legs on the vertebrae, which also matches existing fossil records. Some scholars have theorized that the accuracy of the depiction in this sketch suggests that it may in fact be a drawing of a fossil or a possibly a faked composite. I just, I don't, the whole fake thing, man, I just don't. Yeah. To me, it's simple. They saw it and they drew it, right? Because it's like, if you don't know what a dragon looks like, draw me a dragon. You know what I mean? Yep. I know exactly what you're saying. You're not just like everything else. The fact is that everything else in found in these areas is animals that we do have evidence of mm. existing. Mm. So then when you get these outliers. Like, oh, no, no, they, they just there? made it up. Yeah, just, why did they make that one up? But everything else was there. I just don't get it. Uh, though the latter is extremely doubtful, as it's far too accurate to be a composite or fabrication. And the visible skin in the drawing further suggests that it was not, in fact, modelled from a fossil, but it also depicts quite accurate wing features plus ears and an accurately drawn head crest. The Scapho Nathus dis- depicted in his sketch really does look extraordinarily like the classic interpretation of a medieval dragon. So familiar in the tales of knights such as St. George, who was said to have slain a dragon and rescued the town. Could many of these tales be actually based in truth? Could such people as St. George have actually been killers of various pterosaurs and creatures like the Scaphonathus in the paths? There is a reasonable amount of evidence to suggest it was a very real possibility. But how could dinosaurs have actually survived that long? all those millions of years and how could we possibly so far off the mark without chronologically you ask chronology well it really depends on how you look at things because although only one real possibility is taught by the fact is taught as fact by academia there are actually two quite different schools of thought on the forces that shape our world the true causes of nature and dramatic geological changes I'm happy to take it from here, my good Please man. Please do, a mate. Rest. Please do. Roll yourself a schmack. Thank you very much, sir. The Said mouse. mouse. Oh, this this is a, a topic we enjoy. Right. Strap yourselves in, ladies and gentlemen. We're about to embark. Your tray tables in the upright positions. On the trip called gradualism versus cataclysm. The question of whether dramatic, earth-changing geological changes happening slowly over enormous, enormously long periods of time are actually, are actually more sudden events is one that is still hotly debated. Essentially, our landscapes change gradually through layers of sedimentary deposits that slowly cover ancient sites with the dust of ages, or are civilizations suddenly swallowed and landscapes quickly alerted through sudden and violent cataclysmic upheavals. We know gradual change is in many ways a reality because we have witnessed it. However, we know that cataclysmic upheaval is a reality 
as well because we have witnessed that too. It could very well prove to be the case that the earth has been shaped by both of these two forces and that both schools of thought are in some way correct. For example, we have seen recent ruins being slowly covered by the dusts of time. We have also witnessed Mount St. Helens displace the entire hillside and churn up 200 feet of new mountain in a single day. It's obvious that some catastrophe caused the mass extinction of the dinosaurs, and we have learned from uh, Levy Shoemaker 9 that comets really do hit planets. So we know cataclysm, cataclysms are quite possible, but do they happen on a global scale? Do they happen in regular cycles? There is strong evidence of cataclysmic geological changes happening to the Earth quite frequently. This can be shown simply by the fact that fossils exist. Fossils can only be formed when sudden changes occur and creations are quickly covered by silt. Creatures. I said creations. Anyway, creatures are quickly covered by silt. This can only happen either through volcanic eruptions in wet locations, tsunamis, earthquakes, or other such violent means. A creature that just lies down on the ground and dies naturally will never form into a fossil, as is also the case when dating many non-organic artefacts. The date of 65 million years ago that is given for the extinction of the dinosaurs is only arrived at through examination of the sedimentary layers in which the fossils were found. Geologists assume that these many layers of sediment are deposited gradually over millions of years. But what if many layers were deposited in close succession through a series of cataclysmic events? It is very obvious that the landscapes that once existed on Earth have gone through some incredibly dramatic changes, even during the time of man. But what if vast amounts of sedimentary layers in which many of these fossils have been located and deposit were deposited not over millions of years, but over thousands. Over weeks. What if, exactly, what if it doesn't actually take millions of years to create a fossil, but just several thousand? I mean, how does anyone really know for sure? It's not as if anyone has exactly made one to find out, is it? That we, is true. we got to think about the mammoths that were found in the ice man that still had like gut biome and yeah, food in the stomach. They were just frozen. Flash frozen. Yeah, flash yeah. frozen. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's 13,000. That's right. Yeah. A person can't exactly press their hand into clay and then say, well, I'll just come back and check on its progress once every, every million years or so. Now, can they? <clears throat> Perhaps fossils are formed in as little as 200,000 years or even 20,000 years. Who really knows for sure? Even fossil fossils themselves are enigmatic things. Fossils in many ways prove cataclysmic change to be a reality simply because they exist. As we have already noted, if living creatures just lay down and die, they do not just fossilize. They need to be covered with silt. Think about that for a moment. Silt is a wet, sandy material. So how did the fossils found in arid inland areas come to be covered with silt? They sort of like had to fall in the mud. And pressed under many layers of sedimentary deposits. Yeah. 
they sort of fall in the mud, didn't they? There was wet mud or yeah. something they fell into. Yeah. Or or they were maybe the the land subsided and allowed an uh, a flood yeah. to come in to then cover them with stuff. Or maybe the sea levels rose. Mm. <clears throat> so and, many questions. And washed right? stuff over the top of them. Because they don't really know, do they? That's the, like, this is just all, again, it's all speculation yeah. and best interpreted evidence. That's, That's right. Well, it's all, and, and it's modeling and, like, stuff like that. Like, as to how can you create these rocks and how long does it take minerals to go from this rock into these organic bones and then crystallines caught on the cell structure sort of thing because that's how it like that's how it does it like osmosis sort of thing well and i looked into petrified wood once because i've got a couple of nice pieces down here and that was an interesting rabbit hole as well it's like how long does it take wood to petrify i think they said from a hundred to a thousand years maybe like that's a bit of a gap you know what i mean (laughs) yeah all that says to me is that that's the best guess, and no one actually really knows. That's right. As far as we can tell, this is how long it takes. But that, as far as we can tell, has less backing to it than we actually think. Yeah. yeah. All right. Perhaps fossils. Sorry. Fossils in many ways. Cataclysmic change to be a reality simply because they exist. As we've already noted, if living creatures just lay down and die, they do not just fossilize. They need to be covered with silt. Think about that for a moment. Silt is a wet, sandy material. So how did the... I went back way too far. Yeah, you did. Sorry, guys. Hold with me for a second. So how did the fossils found in arid inland areas come to be covered with silt and pressed under many layers of sedimentary deposits? To try and put it all into some kind of perspective, we can see that the oops arts discussed in chapter two are enigmatic certainly but the time frame we have been given for some of them seems totally incongruous the metal spheres found in africa for example are estimated to be 2.8 billion years old this seems all out of proportion for any ancient civilization and the existence of the spheres at such great depth seems to suggest it more likely that vast sedimentary layers were deposited quickly over thousands of years, not millions. But this all creates something of a dilemma. Yeah, but if 2.8 billion, aren't we 4 billion? So there's 1.2 billion years there. Who's to say that something or someone or some type of creature didn't exist back then? Yeah. We don't know. That's right. And like billions... Is a long time. Yeah, we can't. You can't. You, no one can wrap their head around. You know, no. if we had a billion matches in this. You know, like how many matches is that, right? Yeah, a thousand million matches. It's a lot more than a million. Yeah, let's put it that way. Yeah, it's it's incomprehensible. Mm. Is what it is. Mm. <clears throat> All right. To stop and analyze the situation, we now find ourselves in. Firstly. We are told that dinosaurs became extinct around 65 million years ago. Secondly, the science of genetics proves beyond doubt that modern man is genetically no older than 200,000 years. There's some old research because that's, that's jumped back to 
eight hundred thousand now, I think. Yeah. In since two thousand and definitely it's been yeah. it's moving around. Yeah. Thirdly, if we examine all the evidence presented in the previous sections, we can prove man actually existed contemporaneously with dinosaurs. We can also adequately corroborate this statement by examining existing fossil records, such as the shoe print uh, shown in figure 38. If we examine the evidence and view the entire picture from a logical perspective, we are thus left with only two possibilities. Civilized men who were stitched, who wore stitched leather shoes lived between 65 to 600 million years ago. Doubtful. But he said, Max says doubtful, but why not? Why not? Yeah. Or B, dinosaurs still roam the planet until quite recently and contemporaneously with men who wore shoes with stitched soles. Highly probable according to all available evidence. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. You're right, mate. Look, I think that's, uh, you know, we did, did we look at the the stuff in India with the triceratops and stuff like that. They like this rider. Feel like that was India, that triceratops rider. Mm. Mm. I can't remember though. Mm. My memory these days is pretty shoddy. <laughs> for one reason or another. Left really with only one plausible conclusion. We can then logically surmise that if 65 million years ago is all wrong, for the mass extinction of the dinosaurs, then obviously the estimated time taken for layers of sedimentary deposits is also completely wrong. Fossil records show us this. Therefore, if man is no older than 200,000 years, as genetic evidence proves, and he existed contemporaneously with dinosaurs, as fossil records prove, then the only conclusion we are left with is that not only is our estimated orthodox chronology out, but it's out by a whopping 64,800,000 years, which I think is a really good point to to bring up. Even if it's 64 million, if we bump it out to 800,000. That's right. And I mean, we we believe that, well, we say all the time that all dinosaurs died out instantly. 65 million years ago. Yeah. But then we forget the fact that over that time, the the examples that exist today Mm -hmm. of animals that existed at that time Mm -hmm. with a size difference and maybe a species difference, Mm -hmm. but the fact is we've got many species of crocodilians Mm -hmm. left on Earth. Yeah. And crocodilians existed back in those times. Yeah. So there were survivors. Mm. One way or another, smaller species, mm. larger, whatever, they filled a niche and they still survived. Mm. So why can't there be other dinosaurs that have that were survivors mm. that died out that we just don't have record for? So they, they did survive well, up I mean- until up until 20,000 years ago. Yeah, well, I mean, pterosaur, I mean, think about a flying bird, a dragon. They can fly, man. You well, know what I mean? They're going to fly away from the danger and they're going to find a spot. Yeah, that's right. They, they can, can migrate. If there's yeah. a cataclysm or if there's an event, they can move. Mm. So that's a great I'd, like example of why things may not have died out. Mm. Um, and it's not all going to be bad everywhere. 
yeah, there would be better spots. Hence the fact that some stuff did survive. That's right. Mm. Now, like we've also said before, the fossil record um, is only those things, and Max just touched on it here, where you, you have to, it's extraordinary the circumstances to create a fossil. Yeah. You know, you fall in a tar pit, you fall into a, a, oh, a mud hole yeah. sort of thing, and you get covered, or like Max has stated, you get covered by cataclysmic dust and over stuff and like over that. and over and over and over exactly. Again. Yeah, these are some of the requirements to make. Or you a fossil. slip between an ice shelf or whatever. So, so let's just say, so five hundred thousand. No, let's use Maxson's number. Two hundred thousand years ago, mm. when we were around, what's to say mul- multiple species of surviving dinosaurs, maybe the last species of their lineage, like mm-hmm. in the way that we have, like. I don't know. He throw throw out a number. Ten different species of crocodile around yeah. the world. Yeah. Well, what if they were the last species and they went extinct just at a nat- at a natural rate? Mm. So they weren't dying in cataclysms in the right areas for fossils to be left. But what's interesting about I mean, if you take crocodilians or particularly the Australian saltwater crocodile, which is the largest variant, or the, the Nile's a bit bigger, can get bigger. I think they're about the same, but we've just got more of them. Yeah. If you think about salties, what are we, with the fact that we've raped the oceans for the last 100, 200 years, whatever, however many years, right? Mm-hmm. They're finding saltwater crocodiles, crocodiles, crocodiles in freshwater rivers in the Northern Territory and in North Queensland and stuff like that. Salties will adapt to oh, whatever they need to they're do. They're a very adaptable creature. Yeah. They find them out in the ocean all the time. Yeah. You know, they, they're considered to be like an estuary sort of thing. Mm. And they'll, like you said, they'll be in puddles. As, as long as there's no like, because they're not very maneuverable animals. So as long as there's no like cliffs they need to climb, mm. they will be in a water source yeah, at that, that at the exist. correct level. They'll exist. Yeah. You know, I and mean, you've got to think, I think Sweetheart is the is the din- uh, the dinosaur. Well, it is crocodile. a dinosaur, a crocodile, that was existed in Darwin and she was 40-something feet. There's yep. a there's a model of her in the Darwin Museum. Mm-hmm. Massive, man. dinosaur <laughs> is ginormous. Yeah, man. Like imagine a 40-foot crocodile. That's huge. Huge, yeah. yeah. Like it's unbelievable, right? Uh, you know, so and look, 15, 20 foot crocs that's half of the course. Like, there's yeah. they're around, yeah. Six meter crocs exist, yeah. There's been plenty of them, mm. and that's your 18, 18, 20 foot sort of mark, yeah. That's right. Anyway, well, my, well, let's let's keep. I reckon we'll keep punching on. What do you reckon? Let's have a bit of it. The flipping of the mill. Where are we going? Oh, yeah, so we're getting, yeah, we're getting we're getting into some crustal displays right, and stuff right. like that. I think let's let's just sign it off here, guys. Mm. So, look, I think it, as you, repellent as yep, I'll just finish it off. Finish Sorry, it off. mate, yeah, I'll just finish you know, it off good, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. So, the last thing we were talking about was the chronology being out by sixty-four million years ish, sixty-four million eight hundred thousand. As repellent as this conclusion may be for some people. When combined and really looked at, the fossil, geological, anthropological, and genetic evidence all say that it is indeed so. The only other possibility comes from the quantum world time travel. Well. And we'll leave it there. I I wanted to just touch on something that I've thought about for a little while. Yeah, man. Is, um, you know, 
I've talked about the the like he's talking about the you know the the timelines the 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 geological evidence that we have for timelines. Yes. What did I say? Like with the U part and stuff. What if cataclysm accelerates sedimentary deposits or you know yeah. accelerates the the things that we measure the carbon or whatever it is mm-hmm. what does altering the magnetism of the earth what does smashing rocks into it what does this do to this dating right yeah like yeah. we 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 don't that's something that we don't talk about um and, and I, it, well what would be really good is to look at it in depth an in-depth account of how the geologicals the geologists of the world have set up this datum mm. as to which they strata date things by. Well, so if, the depth of Yeah. So so the steps they went to to set that up and what time because like we like if if you could run it side by side with like um theory of evolution, mm. right? And we've looked at the holes that were there when it was created and like the backing it had because it was a gap filler Mm. that no one had been able to kind of explain. Mm. And it used some new evidence that had came out and it, and it put together this theory, which kind of fit for, for everyone was fairly comfortable with it. Well, we, you know, like, what did you say before? Time is us measuring stuff. We like to measure stuff. Yeah. And when enough people agree that this is what it is, then that's what it is. You know what I mean? That is what it is. That's right? right. So, so with enough backing, because, you know, science was trying to take on the church and they needed mm. an explanation with enough backing, they pushed that theory through. Mm. So when they needed to date all these things, mm. how much pressure was on these people mm. as they were coming up with these, when they were setting these datum lines in terms of the strata of rock mm. that exists at 65 million years, the strata of rock that exists at was well, in the sixty-five million times. thing because of the crater in the Yucatan. Yeah, but that's how are they dating that? Yeah, exactly. That's still yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah not exactly. radiocarbon dating it. And that's the pressure as well. I mean, if you're dating the base of that impact crater, yep. What is you know exactly? What does that look like? I'm 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 just asking, who was watching these geologists? Who was fact checking them? Mm-hmm. Who was making sure the numbers were mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Who? Yeah, are we? Are is everything all mixed up? I think because, the timeline is because is our skewed. timeline yeah. is so far skewed. Yeah. Well, again, we talk about you know if carbon is a result of petrification or whatever it is, what does vibration through the mantle due to impact do to that? You know, like what is massive volcanic eruptions but heavy volcanic eruptions as opposed to the the, the dust that we see now because yeah. we haven't seen a full volcanic eruption since St. Helens realistically mm-hmm. right there's been a few things that have well, granted cataclysmic style yeah so yeah. we've got like a lot of the volcanic stuff that occurs in uh across the ring of fire and through yeah, Europe like Hawaii is like what that. I'm thinking yeah, of yeah. eruptions there where we're creating new islands it's very slow. It's very ga- gradual. Well, you can go there on a bloody helicopter, mate, and have a wander around. You That's know? right. That's yeah. right. But if you get a massive impact like the Yucatan, mm. you know, the, the giant impact there, what kind of volcanic activity do you get after that? Mm. And what, what it, does um, yeah. that do? And how big are those? How much How much magma how, is, is 
landing on the surface. Mm-hmm. And, and then how do you is interesting because then it's, how do you it's off- super hot. Yeah. But how do you offset that? Because you know how do you tell it is there is there a difference between different types of magma, different types of strata? Or is it all the same? I don't know that. That's a good question. Well it's got a it yeah. It, it goes undergoes so many different processes. Mm. You know, like mm. like in Hawaii the the magma comes out and then it's getting broken down by being exposed to the sun. But if it's not exposed to the sun, if it's covered with silt, mm. <clears throat> does it it then stay in a different form and create like your basalt flows yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and your yeah, granites yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um and this this deal of the above too, isn't it? You know what I mean? Like exactly. all that needs to be taken into account. Yeah. But like does and and surely it would have to, but what I'm trying to say is the isostatic depression that occurred because of the North Atlantic, the ice sheets in North America, um, could that not also occur in the same vein if you've got giant volcanic explosions caused by a massive impact? Absolutely, and yeah. And the, the other side of the world is now spewing lava out into an ocean and creating a new continental yeah. landmass. Well, as, you, as you were talking, what I was thinking is that, you know, we sort of talked about the basketball theory insofar as the cataclysm 12,800 years ago because that was the yep. focus when we created it, yep. right? Let's now apply the basketball theory to the Yucatan impact mm-hmm. and what – see, that hits – you know, one side of the sphere that then creates a vibration mm-hmm. that echoes around the globe and would culminate pretty much or terminate, I should say, at the other side yep. of Shock the planet. Shock waves would meet yeah. on the other side of and the And what did that do? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it'd be interesting to do a side to side, like what's on the other side of the Yucatan Peninsula. Yeah. It'd be fascinating if it's like the Alps or something. You know yeah. what I mean? Like if it's a massive Yeah, if it's a massive fault line range. between two tectonic plates yeah, cause a crack. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I exactly. Think I just Yeah. And, and the, the, whole... the the creation and destruction mm. of land masses, mm-hmm. I think I think we don't sort of we don't have it because we because it hasn't happened. We don't know, right? No, it's, it's, it's the best guess. It hasn't been observable, and we we believe because of the way the the continents kind of jigsaw together somewhat, we believe that the continents were always as they were mm. based off that because of the way they kind of jigsaw together. But it doesn't take into account like the um, Zealandia continent. That yeah. They, that's all underwater. Off, it also off doesn't coast. take into account that there was quite obviously a fault line that ran up the east coast of Australia as well, right? I mean, there's volcanoes everywhere around here where yeah. we live, yeah, right, yeah. Yet we don't have a fault line within Kui. No, once upon a time, but what what they we believe, did, you know? well, what they believe that to, this is the mainstream view is the idea is there is a hot spot in the the mantle. So the hot spot remains in the mantle and we kind of have drifted over it. Oh, due to continental drift, we've drifted away from it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's right. why we once had volcanoes, but now they're out in the ocean, like as in but New Zealand that, still, because yeah, that's the ring of that's fire. That's the ring of fire. That's the start so of the that's where fire, the tectonic plate edge was, is, is out there. Yeah, see that? I don't... Yeah, see that? That means that the two things, well, they're counter-rotating, aren't they? They're shifting underneath each other. Like, yeah. I don't... 
that'd be some crazy stuff. Like that's some hell slippage to make that. If you think about where New Zealand is versus where Australia is, that's you know, and where the Flinders Ranges are, which mm-hmm. is what would be what we would be talking about, and yep. where Australia would have to be if it was supposed to match up to that as well. That'd be fascinating to do as well. Like how to match, if that's the case, how do we match the Flinders Ranges, and does it match to the Ring of Fire? If you went, you know, you twisted it, yeah. That'd be interesting. Well, it, it should be the whole um, Great Dividing Range on the... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The Great Dividing Range. Sorry. The right Flinders the whole, Ranges the whole way. Yeah. 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 Coast. Yeah. 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 I wonder whether it would match. I mean, it makes sense to me that once upon a time there was another fault line or, you know, like, but it's again, it's entirely dependent, right? Yeah. What, what, what are we talking about? Well, we don't can, really know. Can you, can you create and destroy fault lines? Yeah, that's right. Does a well done here you go. Does a does an impact or a release of pressure therefore take that pressure off that fault line? The heat of that fault line then fuses, fuses it. it and then the fault line doesn't exist because mm-hmm. the pressure's been taken or goes somewhere goes else. somewhere else. Yeah. I don't know, man. You know? I don't know. But either way the dating's wrong. It would take some really good scientists to, to make something up. Yeah, to make something <laughs> But I mean you talk about the and we'll just finish on the on the the big C. I mean, obviously there's the Loch Ness Monster. Um one thing that we, you know, can probably all agree on is that the earth has had a lot of water on it, right? Mm-hmm. So again, if you're in the the major medium, you can swim away from where the bad stuff's happening. Yeah, you know what I mean. If you can feel it or see it, that it's coming through the ocean, mm. and you're a giant dinosaur that can swim at who knows how fast, right? Yep. If you get going, you can get away. And well, there's not, always not water, that, right? But it's a it, water's also a good insulator. Yeah, absolutely. It it can reduce the effects, like like uh, way like if you if you can dive deep enough, mm. the wave matter. effects yeah. don't affect you because yeah, you're right. far enough away from the surface, mm. so you don't get churned up in all that mm. turbulence and you know so the classic stat is we know less about our oceans than we do our near earth orbit yeah our near earth space you know that's right and you know the stories of dragons like crocodiles great white sharks i mean there's also those creepy photos that come out every now and again where something's taken a bite out of a humpback mm. you know what i mean that happens every now and again or a killer whale something's taken a bite yep out of the side of a killer whale what did that? You know? yeah, that's <laughs> what, it. What, what is doing that? What are we talking about? Oh, there, right? I heard a great estimate the other day. <laughs> they were working it out based out off the population of sperm whales, right? Mm. And it was something because they were trying to estimate the amount of um, giant squid right. in the ocean. Yep. And they worked it out off like. And how old are giant squid? Apparently they predate everything. They, there was squid fossils. Like not giant squid specifically, but, yeah, but, yeah. but squid-like organisms um, in pre-dinosaur. Yeah, that's in what the I mean. ocean. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like squid, you say, predate everything. Yeah, squids yeah. predate everything. I think Nautilus, the Nautilus in the shell, mm. they're like a squid family kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they are so old. Yeah, billions, I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't know about billions, but because I no, think I'm just throwing numbers around. Hey, the timeline's all don't, wrong. It doesn't matter. Fuck mate. it. Go to trillions. Yeah, trillions. It's, it's, <laughs> no, they're a couple of weeks old, mate. Don't... That's 
a thousand years. Yeah, a thousand years ago, the fossils were made. Mm. But yeah, they they're very old. Those mm. that that family mm. is a very old family. Mm. But yeah, so it's all just crazy times, man. But the dinosaur statues, the stuff out of India, dinosaur all the things statues. that we've seen today, dinosaurs. I hadn't seen a lot of that stuff today, so that's cool. I like what, it when we don't see. Why stuff. did? Why did? Well, obviously, not all life ended. No, because we didn't start fresh. No. So why couldn't some dinosaurs have prevailed mm-hmm. for much longer? There's just no fossil record of that time mm. that they prevailed to. Mm. There is no reason why that couldn't have happened, especially based on like crocodilians, birds, like all our flightless birds. Like they're all meant to be related to your two-legged yeah, dinosaurs yeah. back chickens, in the day. Yeah, chickens are dinosaurs, yeah. You know, basically that's they're the ancestors. Mm. I They're mean, survivors, I should say. Here's an interesting question, too. How long does it take for the earth to start to self correct? Right? So, yep. the cloud, the everything, how long does it start? Or how long does it take for it to self correct? Right? Then, if you've got migrating creatures that can fly at an accelerated rate, you've got creatures that can swim, they've got all that sort of stuff. How quickly can they find a good spot? Yep. You know, and then again, in the obviously in the impact zones and all this sort of stuff, that's where it's hell on earth, right? However, outside of that, where you know, how long does it take for the earth to still to self correct, right? To filter those well, well, that dust and well, that ash just... and all that stuff. Like how long does it start to actually, you know, because I would they say five thirty six to five Forty-two yeah, took six it. years for the Earth to self-correct. Yeah, exactly. On that size, impact. on that size impact, yeah. and that impact itself only affected the band around the Earth. Yeah, in the middle, uh, pretty much at around the Mediterranean. Which sort is of why, latitude. if you think, so where the Gulf of Carpentaria is with Australia, so what, if it comes would... across Australia, and yep. this is the Aboriginal drawings, right? It came across Australia, mm-hmm. and sort of, sort of came up across us and hit on an angle down. Yeah, which would have sent the tidal wave towards. Asia, yep. right, a majority of the crap and the silt and whatever else, mm-hmm. and then the vibration as well would have gone that way, yep. right? Um, that makes sense, you know? Yeah, and well, and if you think about it like the other one, in terms latitudinally, yeah, yeah, yeah. you may get a band of fallout mm. go around the... the well, isn't that how they the predict globe. the nuclear fallout, the jet stream? Isn't that how they? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. Can't it? It can only travel within a certain area. Mm. It can't travel outside of that. It can't just like it's. There's got to be a large volume. That's right for it to break through that. The, the right. wind. So depending the wind on the size of the, of the yeah. impact, is is how much debris in the air. But there'd still be a good spot. Th- yeah, there'd still be a good spot there'd outside. Still be temperate zones. You would have to get a. a obviously a massive one to mm. completely coat the earth. Mm. So now there's no good spots, mm. but which may have happened in some form around, you know, as we say, you know, inverted commas now, 65 million years ago. It could have. The Yucatan or it impact, may not have. Or it may not have. The Yucatan, Yucatan's pretty much on the equator. Mm. So, so it could have just gone around the middle or yeah, extended maybe, band. Maybe the there middle. would be bands either side of that. Cause you've got to think of the fringe. Top and bottom, yeah. The ice would, uh, obviously, the ice chases the poles. That's a different story. But 
if it's to do with temperature, the ice would um, form where the band of shit is. If that happened around the equator, latitudinally, Antarctica's free of ice, right? Yep, could be down there. Mm. That's right. They you could know? Have, like all these ones that can fly and swim and shit like that, they could be down there instead. Well, the other, and we'll, I'll probably finish on this thought, with the other how did they survive type thing. Yep. The massive cave systems that are being found. Yeah. Under the earth. Well, if if we're thinking how did the dinosaurs survive? How did we survive? How did the mammals yeah, that how existed the mammals at that how time did the other survive? Creatures survive? Exactly. They went underground. Yeah. Right? I mean, you know, isn't there's that there's that cave in Vietnam that has its own biosphere. Right? That's how yeah. big it is. It's got its own its own ecosystem. It's got its own weather. Yeah. Right, the weather exists inside this cave. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's definitely a microclimate. In yeah, hundred percent. You know, so how many of those are around the planet? Because I mean, and again, classic human story. The only reason they found that cave is someone's wandering through the jungle and they look across the valley and there's a hole in the in the side of the hill. Yeah, they walk into that hole and find the largest cave we've ever found. Well, let's not go to Vietnam, mate. Let's come back to Australia. There's one of them here. Wallamai pine. Yes, yes, yes. The Wallamai pine exists only in whatever the fuck it is, the crater, the the sinkhole, the it's cut off from everywhere yeah. around it. Yep. It's its own it's its own subspecies. Do you know what I just I just had a flashback from when I was a kid in Victoria. There's two caves in country Victoria that they used to hold balls in. Right? So what you would do is you would wear your work, you know, you wear a dirty set of clothes and you would carry these clothes in bags through this tunnel system. And look, part of it, you're on your hands and knees, right? Yeah. And then you come out to these two massive spaces. And when I say massive, it's like 300 by 200 meters. And there's two of them that interconnect. And in the late, uh, early 1800s into the mid 1800s, they used to hold balls in there. They used to hold dancers in there. They'd bring candles. They'd spend all this manpower to fish all this, put all this stuff through the hole, and they would have massive parties in these caverns that are 200 by 300 metres wide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, and that's a small cave in comparison to some of the other ones that have failed, you know? Yeah. So any animal, lizard, insect, Mm -hmm. dinosaur, human, if you can get into one of those caves and you can – survive long enough yep you're gonna survive right 100 percent. you know well mate uh did you find the wallamikes i think we'll end on that i think that's good yeah so i'm just trying to find where it was found it just says in a temperate rainforest area in the national park yeah but i'm i'm positive it's in a crater or it's in a it's like a geological structure yeah yeah yeah. is what it is Mm. i can't say that it's necessarily a crater but, but I mean, Australia's got all sorts of stuff like that that only exists here because of the fact that technically Australia has, because of our isolation, to everything isolation, else. but yeah. also been it seems to that we've been stable. With Some parts oldest, of Australia, the oldest, have been very stable for a long, long time. Yeah, right. Because we're in the middle of our plate. Yeah, yeah. There's no, we're not on our continent. Um doesn't have a subduction zone next to it like I think like LA or LA yeah exactly yeah. so there's a subduction zone there 
So so it's creating uh, it's losing ocean floor mm-hmm. there. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. Whereas we haven't. I mean, we're in the middle. Yeah. But at the same time, there seems to be. I think it's what is it? There's 19 major craters here on Australia. Yeah. You know, not on the Yucatan scale. The ones out way out west are like five six hundred meters wide. Well, let's yeah. What's that? Wolf Creek, Wolf Creek crater. Wolf that? Creek. There's a big yeah. crater, mm. and like we're sparse too. Mm. Like apart from the eastern seaboard, we're all pretty much all desert. Yeah, and no one, no one really knows what's on all that land, man. You know, no, what but I mean? we're more observable. Mm. Like that's why we can see all the craters. Yeah, because yeah, there's, so no, yeah, there's nothing. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing covering nothing. it. There's no growth to hide it. Sort of thing, you know, which is why we don't live out there because all the topsail, all the topsoil's been that's it blown into the there's great like, dividing there's range. Like five people that own all of that, <laughs> yeah. That's there. right. There's just giant fucking farms, yeah. Well, mate, another interesting one, uh, yeah. This one's no, gonna... that was enjoyable. That one was for you, grub, yeah. You wanted another episode, you got it. Uh, look forward to next time, guys. Uh, thanks very much. Look after yourselves. We'll talk soon in this life and the next. Cheers, mate. Peace out. Do you want to go again? Let's do it. Yeah. Go again. All right. I know you. Been here before. No surprises. Settle the score. I know the dark.